and it's Thursday, June the 23rd. Thank you for tuning back in. I'm so honored that you would listen, and most of all, I'm just so happy that you have an interest in the Word of God. I really try to keep this focused on the only hope, the only comfort, the only guide we have for life, and that is the Bible. Even one day without the Bible is too long. And if you want to grow in the Lord, it will be the milk of the word that you're going to desire and grow in. And that's where we're at in Psalm 15 today. We're in the Bible. Now, yesterday, we looked at how to enjoy that sweet fellowship with God, and I entitled it Part 1 because I had a little more content than podcast time yesterday. So we're breaking it up into Parts 1 and 2. And that very first step, the first way that we can have fellowship with God is how? By entering into a relationship with God. And the only way to do that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, but by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it's only then that we can begin to enjoy fellowship. But we know that Christians, while Christian, if you're truly born again, you're, you all, we all experience uh, a relationship with the Lord. We don't all experience the same fellowship with God. We experience highs and lows, and we're going to look at today what causes that, how to have fellowship with God, part two, and today we're going to get into some practical things. So I'll assume you're born again. I'll be speaking to a Christian here. So how can you uh, experience sweet fellowship with the Lord and grow in that sweet fellowship with the Lord. Here's some practical things. I may as well begin reading in the first verse of chapter 15 of Psalms. It says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. Now, verse three, he that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. Notice that first phrase, he that backbiteth not with his tongue. What that is is simply gossip. God does not like gossip. In other places, it's called tail-bearing, whispering, and obviously here, backbiting. And this particular sin is listed in the book of Romans along with murdering and immorality. Whenever I found myself gossiping, and believe me, I've gossiped plenty, as I suspect perhaps you have because you're a person, I have to confess whenever I've gossiped, I was really not walking with God right then. I was in the flesh. And if you were honest, you would have to admit the same. And if you hold the truth in your heart, you'll only speak the truth about others. There is peace in rejecting gossip and delighting in the presence of God. Continuing in verse three, he that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor. It was Jesus that taught us, who taught us that loving our neighbor is second in importance only to loving God. It's important to love your neighbor. It's important not to do any evil to your neighbor, anything that would harm him. And the rest of verse three says, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. Now, just to remind us, it doesn't mean somebody who lives right beside you. It's just whoever's around other people. That's your neighbor. And the word reproach there means a slur saying something bad about them. 
Someone who always has something negative to say about anybody that comes up in a conversation is not walking with God. And that's Bible truth. Now, of course, sin must be dealt with head on, and you must stand on the truth of the Word of God uncompromisingly. But if this is done in the Spirit, it will involve no retaliation or fleshly words, thoughts, or actions. Now, to be honest, this is the battlefield you might be waging spiritual warfare upon right now. Now, you might be someone who has made no one your enemy out of your choice, but perhaps others have made themselves your enemy. And you might be struggling with, what is my responsibility towards this kind of sinful behavior against me who's done nothing wrong? Now, I want you to go to Matthew 5. If you can, if not, just listen. I'll read it for you. Matthew 5, verse number uh, 43. Now, this is Jesus talking. He said this, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Yeah, I've heard that. Okay, I've heard that. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That's easy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. This is verse 44 of Matthew 5. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Why are we to have this behavior of loving our enemies, of, of literally blessing people or wishing good upon people that curse you out, doing good to people that hate you, praying for people which despitefully use you and persecute you. Why? Because you, as a Christian, represent your father, which is God. And because of that, you ought to reflect your father, which is God. That's why it says in verse 48, be therefore perfect, even as your father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Verse 45, that ye may be the children of your father, which is in heaven. It was just uh, last night that as I prayed with my children, as I do every night before bed, I prayed uh, specifically in my head, generally out loud for my kids, for certain people. And I did that not because I wanted to, because I'm a sinful person. I'm somebody that naturally, reflexively wants to respond exactly how somebody would treat me. And you might say, well, that's horrible. You're the same way. Come on now. We're all sinners. But in the Holy Spirit, walking in the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, you must do what God says. If you believe the Bible, you have to believe that God's will for you is that when your enemies curse you, despitefully use you, and persecute you, and hate you, here's what you're supposed to do. Love them, bless them, do good to them, pray for them. That's what you ought to do. Now, I know who I'm talking to. I know that. And I know for some of you listening what's going on in your life and what you're going through. And I want to tell you that if you respond in kind, even if you are being persecuted for doing right, you're no better. 
you need to respond exactly how God wants you to respond. Exactly what Jesus said. When somebody curses you, bless them. When somebody hates you, love them. When somebody despitefully uses you and persecutes you, you know what you do? You pray for them. You pray for them. Now that is the mark of somebody who can enjoy fellowship with God. That is sweet fellowship with God. If you're turning with me, go back to Psalm. I'm turning myself. Psalm 15, where we were. Uh, He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. The battle you're fighting must be a spiritual one. To forgive, to pray for, to love even your enemies. We carry the family name and as children, we want to make our father proud. Verse number four says, in whose eyes, so this is again, the person that can enjoy that fellowship with God, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned. That, this means that you don't admire or excuse the sinful behavior of ungodly people. I'll read you a few verses from 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18. The Bible says, but be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So we're not to admire sin, but we are to honor those that fear the Lord. The rest of verse four says, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. So in, in the person that is having fellowship with God and growing in fellowship, in their eyes, a vile person, a wicked person is condemned, that behavior. Now you still pray for them and, and love your enemies and, and bless them and all that, but that behavior is condemned in your eyes. But he honoreth them that fear the Lord. Now, walking in the fear of God, fearing the Lord, means reverencing God and living in obedience to God as a result. Your close friends, your role models, your mentors, your examples should be people that fear the Lord. If they walk with God, walk with them. Verse number, or the the end of verse number four, he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. Now, that's interesting. It's just, it, it, now nothing is random, but sometimes in my head, I think, well, that, That's random. That's different. No, nothing is random. If it seems random, you're wrong. (laughs) Okay. He that, so this is the kind of person that experiences fellowship with God says he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. Now this doesn't mean that you never change anything about yourself. I look back at things I struggled with 10 years ago or more, and God has given a lot of grace and has changed me to be more like Jesus. Thank God. And I sure hope that 10 years from now, I can look back and see how God continued to change me because I need a lot of work in a lot of ways. I need to change constantly. That's called sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. But what this little phrase is talking about is integrity and honesty. It means that if you make a promise, you keep it even if you would be inconvenienced as a result. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. Sometimes we make a promise that ends up being more difficult to keep than we thought. But if at all possible, we are to keep our commitments, even if it does us personal harm. And it's so important to God that he included it in this list. 
Verse number five, the last verse, it says, he that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. Now, this is where context is really important because usury means interest. You can just mark it down in your mind. When you're reading your Bible, you see usury. That means interest, like interest gained off money. Now, does this mean that if you have a 401k or an interest bearing savings account that your fellowship with God is hindered? Not at all. Back in the time when this was written in the Bible times, uh, people only borrowed money if they were in a desperate situation. It wasn't as common as it is today. And Israelites were actually forbidden in both Exodus and uh, I believe Deuteronomy, you can read this. They were forbidden to charge interest to fellow Jews, according to the law. The issue here is exploiting those in need. When someone is down or vulnerable, we are to help them, not to take advantage of them. That's what that means. And the last little phrase of verse number five, he that doeth these things, so all these things in chapter 15, shall never be moved. When the storms of life come, and they will, if you abide in sweet fellowship with the Lord, nothing will make you change from your commitment to God and his word. Okay, one more place to turn, if you would, and I'm done. Second Peter 1. 2 Peter 1, and I'll read verses 3 through 10. Now, this is what I'm talking about, about not being moved. This is what the Lord's talking about, not being moved. 2 Peter 1, 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So here's some change. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Does that sound familiar? The end of chapter 15 of Psalms, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. On this Thursday, I encourage you to be diligent to remove obstacles in your life that would hinder your walk with God, and to pursue those things that help to strengthen your growing fellowship with God.